up? What's up, bitches? And happy Monday. I'm not sure if that's the day that you're listening to this, but that's the day that I'm recording, so let's go with it. Happy Monday. I hope that all of you are having a great start to your week. Mondays are the hardest days to get going, but here we are kind of getting through it together and trying to get our week off on the right start. I have a little bit of a cold. I'm feeling under the weather, but I have been so excited to do this episode because I want to talk about some stuff I've been watching. I want to talk about Megan, the movie, which I finally watched. I know I'm so late to the game, and I want to talk about these Murdaugh trials. I've watched the Netflix special, HBO, Amazon, now the actual trials on YouTube, And for people who are thinking, I just don't have the time to get into all of that, that's fine because that's why you have me. I'm going to break down everything that's been going on. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. I don't have a law degree. I'm not Kim Kardashian. This is just my two cents, my observations, and what I think as a true crime lover who's just paying attention. You're free to, to come to any of your own conclusions. Message me what you think about this. Message me if you're keeping up with it. And since the trials are happening in real time, I guess we will find out soon enough what the jury thinks. The jury's out, some would say. Let's get started talking about Megan. I'm sure that you've at least seen previews for this movie by now, but if not, it is the movie that has an astounding 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. No one can figure out how it's done so well with movie critics. And basically, it's like this AI robot doll that looks like a little girl. And as you can predict, or as you would imagine, it goes bad. Like, she ends up being a psycho. So, if you want to watch a movie that's not predictable in any way, I wouldn't recommend Megan. I mean, we've all seen The Terminator. I think that's like the first movie I can think of that has the technology can go evil theme tie-in. But if you don't want something predictable, Megan's not going to be up your alley. But if you don't really mind watching something where you know how it's going to end and you know it's not going to stay positive... This movie, I actually surprisingly enjoyed. I put it on almost like satire, just trying to see like what's the hype about. And I really didn't have high expectations. And I think that because I had such low expectations, I was pleasantly surprised. I really thought that this movie was going to be super cringe. I wasn't going to be able to get into it at all. Like it was going to be overly predictable. But I found myself on the edge of my seat and like watching it and surprisingly engaged. I certainly wouldn't give this movie a 94% like the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but I would probably put it up there at maybe like a 70. I would say that it's like a C. I would say it's easily a C movie. I found myself enjoyed and entertained, like I just said. It's an hour and a half. I was able to watch it on Peacock. You have two minutes of commercials prior, but I actually enjoyed the movie. If you end up watching it um, and you're really into this like technology gone wrong kind of theme i highly recommend the movie Margot and kimmy as well these movies aren't like spectacular in terms of they'll be the best movies you've ever watched but they're just on the same niche of movies and they were really interesting let's get into everything related to this murder murders 
I started off by watching the Murdaugh Murders, a Southern Scandal docuseries on Netflix. And this piqued my interest, got me interested in the case. I looked it up, realized that there's even more information pertaining to the family, and that although the docuseries is about a 2018 or 2019 event, the trials are going on right now for his crimes. So it's something relevant and that's happening right now. You can watch it on YouTube, you can watch it on TV, and you can see what's happening. I'm going to get you caught up. If you know nothing about this case, I'm going to break it down, give you at least a basic description, and then you can dive deeper and let me know your thoughts. I would say that it took this family a hundred years to build all of their power. I would say that within a year, it's all being taken away. And the start of it was really with the boat accident that killed Mallory Beach. And this is what the Netflix docuseries is about. It is about Alex Murdaugh, who is on trial for a double homicide of his wife and son right now. It is about his son, Paul, while he was living, who crashed a boat that led to the death of Mallory Beach. Even when I say this, it still said that he was allegedly the driver because of how much power this family has. Starting from the right when the incident happens, you see that Paul is frantic to call his father and his grandfather to get their support and get their wheels turning for how to figure out what to do with this. After they become aware of the situation, we see in this docuseries that while the parents of the other children are rushing to the hospital to check on their children and, you know, see what the next steps for surgeries are, we see Alex Murdaugh and his father come to the hospital, badges out for their solicitor position that they have, and making an attempt to go in each of the children's rooms and through testimonies from the children, from the staff, we know that Alex went room to room to try to pin anybody but his son, but specifically Connor from that incident as the driver of that boat. This is very important because once you watch the trials on YouTube right now, you'll see that Alex says he never went in those children's rooms to offer anything but to check on how they were. He was never at the hospital for any intentions of trying to guide the situation or cause confusion. And when you see the tapes of him being there, you know that that's not true. And you know that it sets the precedent for him being a liar and doing whatever it takes to keep his family's name clean. So the boat incident happens, and mind you, still no killer has ever been named for Mallory Beach, even though there's eyewitnesses, even though there's testimonies from qualified experts who can tell you the anatomy that, a bo that the bodies move on the boat, who should have been sitting where, none of this really matters because none of it stuck. But this was the first domino to tip over to cause the rest of the family to go under. Because after this boat incident, the spotlight was on Alex 
and some of his prior crimes that had been associated with the family. And I think they started to realize that it, there's just been a couple of deaths uh, too close to the Murdaws for it to be coincidental. Along with having a son who has just killed someone his own age from a boating incident, Alex has his own things that he's trying to cover up. We find that he has an opioid addiction of 20 years, and we find that he's been stealing money from his clients in terms of when he helps a client get a settlement after they have been, let's say, hit by a UPS truck or they have a work incident and that client gets awarded money, he was stealing it from them. It could be $90,000, it could be $2 million, but he was stealing his client's money, supposedly, to pay for his drug addiction. So it's 2019 and this boat accident has just happened and we know that this young adult, Mallory, has just lost her life, okay? A year before, in 2018, the Murdaugh family housekeeper who had been working with them and taking care of their family for the last 20 plus years, she fell down at work with the same stairs and with the same dogs that she's been with for the last 25 years, she tripped down the stairs to the point where Maggie, Alex's wife, had to call 911. And essentially, she goes to the hospital and 20 days later dies of a stroke related to the damage that her head suffered during that fall. They go back, they play this 911 call. And it sounds a little odd. There's a lot of voices in the background. I'm not sure that the voices have ever been isolated so that we can really hear everything that's going on, but it's just very inconsistent. One second we have Maggie saying that her housekeeper has fallen down the stairs and she's on the ground. She's not able to say anything and she's unresponsive. The next moment we have her husband Alex pick up the phone and he's saying, I've been holding her up. She told me to put her down. She couldn't stand up by herself, and she fell. This is all during the same 911 call. So you hear this back, and it makes you wonder, is any of this really happening, or did you guys push her? Especially when we find out that Alex then draws $4 million from Gloria's life insurance policy that he never gives to her children or her family. He never makes them aware of the fact that she has $4 million that they could inherit. He takes every single cent. So now we've got two deaths that we know about associated with the Murdaws. We've got their housekeeper, who after 25 years of working for them, has tripped, fallen to her death, and then her own life insurance policy was collected by her employers. We have his son who, intoxicated, drives a boat. He's literally tagged as driving the boat by eyewitnesses who were with him. We have specialists saying that he drove the boat um, and no conviction stuck to that. And then I'm gonna introduce the third one. This is rumored, so I'm barely grouping it in, but on the chance that they do end up finding evidence for this, I think it's relevant. So in 2015, there was a murder of Stephen Smith, who was a local student in Hampton County. 
Stephen was known to be gay, and for that reason, he was different than other people in town. This is a small southern town where people weren't gay. They even say in the documentary that the worst way that you can be treated was if you were gay. Allegedly, he had been hooking up with someone, his friend said, who was a prominent figure in town. If he said who it was, everyone was going to go ape shit. And he was planning to take a trip with him and just get away. A week before he was supposed to be leaving for this trip, and he's never told any of his friends who this who this man is that he's with, a week before his trip, he experiences what his sister said was someone was tampering with his vehicle and it looked like they sort of loosened his battery connections. So he calls his sister, she comes, tightens him back up, follows his home, follows him home and, you know, hopes that everything's okay. And he's been acting kind of shifty, but, you know, he goes out later that night and later that night he experiences car problems at least that's what the story is because he never calls his sister for help later that night, even though he did earlier in the day. Um, he wasn't walking towards the gas station, even though his car was empty of gas and he left his wallet in the car. So he was walking somewhere with no money and, and no ability to bring the gas back, but supposedly he had car troubles And he was found after being displayed in the middle of a road with head trauma. Experts say that there's not a shot that he was a hit and run, a victim of that. There was no glass fragments in the road. His shoes weren't taken off as a result of the hit. Like his body wasn't in a position as if he had just been hit by a car going 50 miles per hour. He was clearly killed and then dropped in the middle of the road. However, because it's this small town in the south and he was found in the road, his death was labeled a hit and run, nothing further. They, they didn't look for who did it. There was nothing ever found for the justice of his mother. Um, you know, even though it was likely a hate crime, it was just labeled a hit and run. Rumors around town have it that Buster, Alex's son, was in the car with a couple of other guys and he passed by Stephen and decided to hit something, you know, out of the window at Stephen. And whether he was hitting his back and aiming for that or trying to hit his head, but he hit him in the head and it killed him. So this isn't proven. I'm not sure that he did it. If he did it, I hope that there's justice for Stephen and for his mom. If he didn't do it, this is just yet another rumor that this family has tied to them. You ask yourself, though, is a father who's willing to cover up his opioid addiction and inability to pay for it by stealing from his clients who trust them, and is that same father who's willing to blame another child for the death of another child, you know, Is this a family that is willing to do something like that to cover up something dark that they wouldn't want out about themselves? Potentially. It it certainly puts the thought in your mind. 
Now let's move on to what he's on trial for right now. Alex Murdaugh's on trial for June 7th, 2021, when his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul, were shot at his home property. Now, initially, when this call was called in, Alex says that he was visiting his mother's house. He came back. He found Maggie and Paul in the backyard, dead. Um, he touched them a couple times to make sure that they, you know, weren't breathing and that he couldn't help them. And then he called law enforcement. The problem is Alex's story just doesn't make sense. His 911 call doesn't make sense with what actually happened because he waited to call them an entire hour before they were dead. He lies and says that the last time he saw Paul and Maggie was when he had dinner with them. When we know that there's a video where Alex is identified of being in the background at the dog kennels with Maggie and Paul three minutes before they died. And we know that Alex's housekeeper says that the house was disheveled, the clothes were everywhere, food wasn't put away normally, it felt like someone was in a rush. He was very specific about what shirt he had been wearing earlier in the day, and he was even trying to tell her a different shirt that he had on right there while he was in front of her, confusing her. When he was at his mother's house prior in the night, he goes over there to pay her a visit. Mind you, she has Alzheimer's and wasn't doing well early in the afternoon. Her home health aide calls him. He doesn't go over there at 3.30 when she calls. He goes over there at 9.30 at night, drives 80 miles per hour to get there. When he gets there, he tells the home health aide, hey, I've been here for 40 minutes, okay? At least 30 to 40 minutes is how long I was here tonight. And then he brings up her wedding and offers to pay for the entire wedding. He's like, I haven't mentioned this before, but you don't need to be stressing about your wedding. You know, I've got that paid for. And she thought that it was odd that he told her that he was there for longer than he really was. This was proven by an FBI expert who looked at Alex's vehicle, can confirm when the vehicle's in park, when it's in drive, and he was in fact only at his mom's house for 20 minutes. Also, I mentioned that he touches Paul and Maggie to check to see if they're breathing, and he does have blood on his steering wheel in his car. I hear the 911 operator tell him to turn his lights on so that they can find the driveway. That's fine, but his hands don't when they get there. He has no blood on his hands. He has no blood on his clothes. He, he's got nothing on him. So what happened? And how did it go from I saw my family at dinner to I saw them three minutes before they were both killed? I think that there's a lot of discrepancies between his testimonies. I think that it's been established that he is a liar. I think it's been established that he does anything to cover his tracks up. But if this wasn't bad enough, after his wife and his son were shot and killed, a week later, Alex is shot in the head in broad daylight while he's changing a tire on the side of the road. 
We hear several 911 calls. We hear the 911 call of someone passing by the scene saying, um, this looked so odd, I'm not even going to stop. But someone did just get shot in the head, just so you know. And then we hear Alex's 911 call where he says he was trying to change his tire. Someone he doesn't even know came up and shot him in the head and that he needed help because he couldn't drive. This gets people in the town wondering, who is going after the Murdaws? Especially since, and I forgot to mention this, but when the police came the night of Maggie and Paul's death, the first thing Alex says is he blames their death on a frustrated parent. He, he blames it on someone who is upset about Mallory Beach's death, whether insinuating it was her parent or a friend of their family, but he's insinuating that somehow someone is targeting his family because of that boat incident. And he already has an answer for them as to who's coming after him. Now, applying that to his shooting incident, where the town is starting to wonder who is coming after the Murdaws, I mean, Alex has already provided them with an answer before. This is sort of corroborating is there a disgruntled parent who is just upset about this boating incident? But then the cousin comes forward. Cousin Eddie, his drug dealer, his longtime drug dealer for his opioid addiction. He comes forward, and although his testimony is not very solid because he's an avid opioid user, um, he's changed his mind several times. I think the one thing that he's most consistent about is Alex calls him. He asks him for help, and so he goes there. The rest is debatable. Alex's version is that he hired Eddie, the family drug dealer, to come and shoot him in the head and kill him. That way, his son, Buster, who is still alive, can receive his life insurance of $10 million dollars. Apparently, committing suicide, he wouldn't get the money, so he wanted to have it planned so that he could just go and not have to be in a world without Maggie and Paul. Even saying that out loud, how does that make sense? He's going to leave behind one son because another son and his wife died without having any reason to live? It makes no sense. It makes even less sense that he's four feet away from him and misses shooting him in the head and is able to just maim him. I think you have to be more talented to just maim someone in the head when you're shooting them in the head than to just kill them. I mean, he has the competency to shoot him enough to just hurt him. It's clearly not a suicide attempt. I don't think Alex has been honest about what he asked him to do. And I think Eddie is too unstable to give us the full story. But I think it's clear that he was asked to come after him. And once you rationalize, why does Alex want it to look like someone is coming after his family so bad? Once you start to think on that, there's really only one answer. And it's that he has always just been trying to save his ass from the boat incident to his housekeeper to his opioid addiction to the now death of his son and his wife. I mean, he is just constantly snaking and shifting and changing things and lying to people and deceiving them and he's done it his entire life and we see him up on the stands and he's trying to craft this 
familial relationship that was very close-knit, and it's just not true. We know in details that Maggie and Paul were not close with Alex that much. I mean, Paul thought it was odd that he was asking him to dinner to come down. Maggie thought it was odd, so much so that she texted her friend and said, something is up with him. You know, he's up to something when he asks her to dinner. They weren't even living together. So that's my breakdown, guys. Like, so much stuff is wrong. You have to watch the trials. You have to see what's going on. You have to see the prosecutor come for him the way that he deserves. And I highly recommend watching the HBO series first, then watching the Netflix series to patch it in. The Amazon series was really meh. I would think it would be better to just start from around February 23rd for the trials and go from there. But I hope that I did it justice. I hope that I gave you guys the gist of what's going on, the gist of some of the most egregious things. And from there, you guys can form your own opinions and get back to me and let me know if you're about to dive down that rabbit hole. I have some super fun episodes planned upcoming. I have an awesome guest later this week to dive into some Bachelor things. He's been on The Bachelor. He knows firsthand about the show to give us some inside scoop onto what's going on with Zach. I also have a really cool episode planned with someone from a show that all of us have been watching lately. It just wrapped up and picked a winner. I'm not going to say who. I'm just going to let you guys think on it, and it'll be a fun surprise. Love you all. As always, follow me on Spotify. Leave me a review. Show some love. I'm up to almost 100 followers on Spotify, which is a big deal for me. So get me up there.